0: Hello again, Fight Fans. Welcome to episode number 150, 150 of The Neutral Corner. I am Michael Montero, your host for BoxingMonthly.com and Boxing Monthly Magazine. This is TNC for the week of December 8th, 2018. Year end is upon us. Can't believe it, man. It's already December and the holidays are here. Uh, Man, this year has flown by. Guys, before we get into news and notes, and there's not a whole lot of news and notes to cover today, but a lot of stuff to review. Just wanted to um, give you guys the fee for this week. Uh, remember, I, it's a non monetary fee that I charge for the Neutral Corner, this podcast I give you guys every week. But I ask you to do uh, little errands, little favors for me. This week, I just want you guys to check out all your social media and make sure that you're following me. I'm on Twitter. We have a Facebook page, a Montero Unboxing Facebook page, Instagram, of course, YouTube. And then the podcast is everywhere. It's on iTunes. I think it's on, um, I think Google has a version of iTunes, Google Podcast or something. It's out there. It's on Stitcher. It's on SoundCloud. So check all of your social media profiles and make sure you're following Montero Unboxing. That's pretty much the handle everywhere. All you got to do is go there. Whatever social media platform you're on and do a search for Montero Unboxing, boom, I should pop up. So sometimes you accidentally delete people. Sometimes the platform will update and delete people on there. I don't know why it does that shit. I know YouTube is infamous for doing it. It unsubscribes people all the time. So just go to all your social media. Make sure that you're following us, okay? That is your fee for TNC 150. All right, let's get into news and notes. So on TNC 149 last week, I told you guys I was gonna be calling a fight card that Christy Martin Promotions was putting on in Charlotte, North Carolina. Well, there was a huge mishap and, you know, that's the business. Boxing is the entertainment business and, you know, I have dabbled in acting and, and music and other forms of entertainment and stuff gets called off. Uh, deals change at the last second all the time. So long story short, about 24 hours before when the fight card was supposed to go on, the promoter changed production companies and uh, the team that was gonna be producing the live stream of the card and doing the recording and the audio and all that stuff uh, was out. And they went with another production team. I was brought on as the commentator for the old production team. So when they switched production teams, They brought on, uh, that team brought on their own commentators. So I was out about 24 hours before the card. It was shitty, but it's not the first time something like this has happened to me. That's the business. So um, any of you guys who were there in uh, the Carolinas and went to that card, I hope you had a good time. I wish I could have been up there and said hi to some of you, but uh, unfortunately, that's just how it goes. Uh, You know, news and notes, relatively slow this week. I mean, there's a lot to talk about related to the fights that took place, but actual news, you know, it's kind of, it's the end of the year. Things are slowing down. There's some fights coming together for early 2019, but the biggest news I think of last week was Jaime Munguia, signing a deal with Golden Boy Promotions, which is no surprise. Of course, he was with Zan for Promotions out of Mexico, but they have basically been working uh, as a partnership with Golden Boy, and Golden Boy signed a deal with him. It will be at least five fights. I think there is an option for one or two more after the five fights, and they're going to be on DAZN. So uh, that's where we're going to see Jaime Munguia now that Golden Boy is on the zone. So uh, look, he's one of the more exciting younger fighters out there. I do think that he's very raw and limited, and there are some things they need to sharpen up. I don't know if he's quite ready for Jarrett Hurd in the absolute best at 154. But I'd like to see him against a guy like maybe Irislandi Lara, you know, uh, maybe that that top 10 tier, but just, I don't know if he's ready for Jarrett Hurd at this point, but he is Jaime Munguia. He's a top five junior middleweight. And so this is a a nice signing for Golden Boy Promotions. Munguia might be the second best fighter they have after uh, Canelo Alvarez. I guess you'd still consider Jorge Linares to probably be the second best fighter, but he's on the way out. You know what I'm saying? As far as young guys that are going to be around for the next few years, Munguia is probably their second best fighter. So they got a lot riding on him. All right, that's it for News and Notes, man. Not a whole lot going on in that uh, category, but we got a lot of stuff to review. A lot of controversy Saturday night, uh, not just in the USA, but in Canada as well. Some horrible judging. Let's get into it. Last Thursday, November 29th, at least I believe it was uh, late Wednesday, maybe over there, but early Thursday here in the USA in Chongburi, Thailand, knockout CP Freshmart, scores a unanimous decision in a 12-rounder against Nicaraguan Brian Rojas, the sixth defense of his WBA minimum weight strap. That was one of those uh, midweek tie cards. Uh, those title holders, they seem to fight on odd dates, but they stay busy. Friday, November 30th, there was action all over the world. From Brisbane, Australia, and this was broadcast on ESPN Plus here in the States, Jeff Horn completely blows out Anthony Mundine. He just seemed to hurt him with every single punch he landed. Mundine's punch resistance is completely gone. And I talked about last week in the preview for this fight that Mundine has fought as heavy as 175 recently. I think this was at a 155 pound catchweight, maybe 156. It was not quite a middleweight fight, not quite a junior middleweight fight. I think it was right in the middle, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that's, it was a catchweight. Anyway, uh, Madin just maybe killing, you know, losing all that weight, killed him, I don't know. He is 43 years old. But Jeff Horn looked really, really good, turned out the performance of his career. Just completely blew away Mundine. And that fight, you know, was was a big deal in Australia. Two local guys. So uh, Horn, you know, 2 0 since the the loss to Crawford. And then, you know, of course, before that was the controversial uh, win for him against Manny Pacquiao. I don't know where this leaves him in the welterweight division. I mean, this wasn't even a welterweight fight. He's not a top 10 welterweight. He's certainly not a top 10 junior middleweight. So uh, I don't know where you rate this guy, but this was a big win for him in his homeland. And look, there, you know, the fans still see him as beating Manny Pacquiao. And twice now, he's had big wins in Brisbane. He's a name there. Now, in Florence, Italy, there was a card on the zone. There were several Italian fighters facing UK fighters, and it didn't do so well. Uh, Two, I think it was two of the three top bouts The UK fighters beat the Italian fighters. But in the main event, cruiserweight, Italian cruiserweight Fabio Turkey improves to 16-0 at 12 knockouts. uh, Fighting in his hometown there in Florence scores a KO7 win over Tony Conquest, who was fighting outside his native UK for the first time in his career. Now here in the States, in Hollywood, Florida, that's a suburb of Miami, uh, Telemundo card: Mexican bantamweight Ricardo Espinoza wins a TKO two victory over Yeson Vargas, improves to 22 and two with 19 knockouts. Also on the in the co-main, or I don't know if it was the co-main, but on the undercard, uh, Puerto Rican welterweight Derek Cuevas scores a unanimous decision win over Brady's Prescott. Uh, Prescott been one of those uh, perennial contenders now for years, fought at a few different weights best known for uh, knocking out Amir Khan and really exposing some of the chinny issues he had back when Khan was undefeated. Uh, There was a knockdown in the first round, but uh, Prescott, you know, after being dropped, he he stayed on his feet and made it to the bell, but Cuevas clearly won that fight. And then in Huntington, New York, I talked about this uh, last week, Chris Algieri was fighting uh, off TV. He scores a unanimous decision win in a 10-rounder. So we go to last Saturday, and there, were, there was a real big pay-per-view card here in the States, and that was on Showtime pay-per-view, of course. That was from Los Angeles in Staples Center. But there was a lead-in fight from a card in Quebec City that Showtime, regular Showtime featured, and it was the main event of a card there. Adonna Stevenson defending his WBC light heavyweight title. I think it was for the ninth time, tenth time against Ukrainian fighter Oleksandr Vosdyk, who is now 16-0 with 13 knockouts. Vosdyk stopped Stevenson in the 11th round. It was kind of a, I don't want to say brutal stoppage. When you think brutal stoppage, you think devastating one-punch knockout. But it was, it was brutal in a different way because Vosdyk landed a lot of punches and he doesn't have bone-crushing, one-punch knockout kind of power, but he does have sneaky, I would say, accumulative power. And he he throws punches very straight. His nickname is The Nail, and he lives up to that reputation. He throws very straight punches. They're very crisp. And in that 11th round, there was a sequence there where he was just busting Stevenson up, and he must have landed a couple dozen unanswered punches, really. And Stevenson finally succumbed. He goes down in the corner. And more about his condition in a minute. Uh, You know, at the time, it just looked like he was just overwhelmed with an accumulation of punches. It didn't look like a bad stoppage. Turns out it was. But let's talk about Vostick for a second here. Um, You know, the first two rounds, he gave away. He didn't do much at all. And watching the fight live, you know, I was tweeting as I was watching, and I was thinking, man... He's not doing much, you know, is he, is he intimidated, you know, has he felt, you know, he was blocking Stevenson's big left hand, but, you know, you could still feel power when you block a punch. You know, is he feeling the power? What's going on here? And then he comes out in the third round and drops Stevenson with a good counter right hand. The referee missed it. Horrible night by the referee because he missed a knockdown that Stevenson should have been credited for later in the fight when Stevenson landed a big, I think it was a left hand, that uh, threw Vostick into the ropes and the ropes held him up. So the referee had a really, really bad night. But from the third round on, I really thought Vostick was just each round progressively getting in a better rhythm. And by the middle rounds, I thought he was firmly in control. And in the late rounds, he was dominating. I, just, I saw a guy who was clearly winning the fight and making Stevenson look honestly, looking, making him look amateurish at times, making him look really bad. Eighth, ninth round, I think it was, where I, Stevenson was almost ready to be stopped right there. And in fact, I thought if Vosdick had gone down to the body, he was headhunting a little too much. I think he could have stopped Stevenson in the eighth or ninth round. He wasn't going to the body. He was just staying upstairs. And I think that's why Stevenson was able to last a few more rounds but it ended up working against Adonis because he took a lot more punishment to the head, to the brain. But uh, the scores after 10 rounds, one judge had it even. One judge had Stevenson ahead, 96-94, which was a bad score. Even the draw was a, a bad score. But Jack Woodburn had this fight, 98-92, Stevenson, after 10 rounds. That is the worst scorecard in all of boxing since Adelaide Byrd's scorecard for the first Golovkin-Canelo fight in Las Vegas. That is a disgustingly bad scorecard. And, you know, I I could break down the round-by-round punch numbers and all that. I could, you know, do all that. It's not even worth doing, guys, because if you watch the fight, I would say if you're being... Very generous to Stevenson, you could give him four rounds of the first ten. If you're being completely biased for him, you could give him half. You could have the you could have the fighter draw after 10. I don't agree with that score, but if you are completely biased in favor of Stevenson, at most you give him four or five of those first 10 rounds. But for Jack Woodburn to give him eight rounds, this was a WBC title fight. So uh, Yvonne Michel was the promoter. This is on him. This is on the WBC for approving these judges. And this is on the Quebec Boxing Commission. All three of those entities are at fault here for this judge, but especially the BC, which had two poor judges working their title fights Saturday. More about that in a second. I tweeted about this during the fight that you guys out there, you really have the power to start affecting some change here. You can tweet the WBC. You can tweet Yvonne Michelle. They're both on Twitter. They're both very active on Twitter. And I know some of you guys have told me that you've tweeted the BC before about other decisions and stuff, and they've blocked you. And I, I look, that, I, that's a bitch move. They shouldn't do that unless you're getting obsessive and cussing and swearing and all that. But if you're just giving them criticism, you know, fair criticism, They shouldn't block you. But my position is this. If a thousand people tweet to WBC this week and ream them over Judge Jack Woodburn and tell them that, that Jack Woodburn should never score another WBC title fight again, they can't block a thousand of you. I mean, in theory they can, but do they want to sit around and block a thousand people? Do they want to click a thousand times on people's profiles and block them? I don't think so. Same thing with Yvonne Michelle. So if enough of you blow these guys up on their Twitter, on their Instagram, on their Facebook, even on their YouTube channels, because some of these guys have YouTube channels and they post videos and interviews, go there and blow up their comment section, downvote all their videos. I know it takes time, but you guys are already listening to all these boxing podcasts. You're going on Twitter and you're tweeting all day about boxing. You're already there. You're already in the platform. Take the extra step and and find Mauricio Suleiman. He has a personal Twitter profile. You don't even have to just tweet the BC. Blow up Mauricio's Twitter. Blow these guys up on social media and ream them. Now, the athletic commissions are smart. They don't go on social media. You won't find many judges that go on social media. Some of the referees do. But a lot of these judges, some judges do, the good ones, but a lot of these judges and officials and the the athletic commission people, man, they stay off social media because they don't want to hear the critics. But the, the people that are on there, the promoters, the sanctioning organizations, sometimes even the fighters need to hear it. You guys have the power. If enough of you speak, it's one thing if a dozen people tweet the WBC this week and bitch about this decision. They could block a dozen of you. They could even just ignore a dozen of you, whether they block you or not. But if a thousand of you, keep it clean. Don't throw a lot of F-bombs and and all this kind of stuff. Keep it very clean. Keep it concise. And just simply say, 98, 92 after 10 rounds, Jack Woodburn should be suspended. And you guys should be calling him out because he was scoring your title fight. It's that simple. Enough of you do that, it will get a response. Trust me, we've seen it before. Now, Adonis Stevenson, uh, it, it, he was placed in a medically induced coma as a precautionary measure by the medical officials uh, there in Quebec City uh, to relieve swelling on his brain. Swelling on the brain is never a good thing. And 10 years ago, 20 years ago in boxing, or any other, you know, martial art or combat sport, if you had swelling on the brain, it was basically a death sentence. You were either gonna be permanently disabled, but likely die. Now they can get to this uh, very, very quickly. They, they've, they've had enough cases where they know how to handle it, how to treat it, and we see guys do pretty well with this injury. So, although Adana Stevenson was placed in critical condition, they, they placed him in this coma, I think that the signs are positive that he will make a, a full recovery and he's going to be okay. It's not going to be easy. It's going to take some hard work, and I think his boxing career is over. But um, look, I've been critical of Adonis Stevenson. He has a very, very dark past. He was you know involved in some horrible things. So it's easy to root against the guy, but you never wish something like this upon a person. You just don't. This is bad news. I I hope that he makes a speedy recovery, and I I expect he will. All that being said, I am so glad Vosdyk won this fight, and I've been telling you guys since this fight was signed that the Ukrainian was going to win. Now that title is is not being held hostage anymore. Adonis Stevenson, to me, as, as a champion, was mostly a fraud, and he got away with not fighting a mandatory for years. And some of you might find my comments to be insensitive because of everything he's going through right now. Keep in mind what I just said. You know, I I wish him and his family a speedy recovery and I think he's gonna get there. I have positive feelings about it. That's personal. I'm talking business. I'm talking boxing here. And after he was the 2013 fighter of the year, wearing the crunk trunks, which is, you know, very dear to me coming from Detroit. You know, I'm a huge crunk guy. I thought he was going to carry that mantle and be the next guy to be you know, a crunk legend. He had it all set up. He blatantly ducked Sergey Kovalev to go over to Showtime, fight a bunch of guys who were B-level for the most part, fought infrequently, avoided top challenges. He ducked Kovalev, he avoided Elodir Alvarez, who now that we see what he did against a, a you know, faded version of Kovalev, uh, we see that he was a real threat. Look at this guy's resume. Even the Chad Dawson win. Dawson was coming off a huge knockout loss to Andre Ward. He had been knocked out in sparring more than once in his previous camps. Uh, he was a shell of himself. Dawson never looked good again after the fight with Ward. It was just the wrong move for him to kill You know, seven more pounds, to, to go down in weight and everything else. Uh, so that is Stevenson's best win. It was against the guy coming off a brutal knockout loss to Ward, somebody who doesn't knock out anyone unless he's punching their nuts. Look at Adonis Stevenson's career, and you can say, at least I could say, you know, pretty confidently, I feel that Oleksandr Wojcik was the best opponent he's faced. And you see the result. Now, I get it. Stevenson is over 40 years old. You know, and, and you're supposed to see the younger guy knock out the older guy. You go back to Anthony Joshua, Vladimir Klitschko, you know, that kind of a thing. Uh, you know, uh, Bernard Hopkins versus Joe Smith Jr. That's what you're supposed to see. But at the same and I, I do think age played a factor here, okay? But Stevenson was able to go the distance with Badu Jack in a good fight that many feel, myself included, feel he lost. He got a draw. But you know, Badu Jack is a top, top, at least top 10, light heavyweight. And Stevenson, this version of Stevenson, was able to go to distance with him. And I actually think Stevenson was in better shape for this fight against Boznik than he was against Jack. I think this knockout loss and him losing so dominantly on my scorecard, I thought maybe he won three, maybe four rounds in this fight, but he was being dominated over the second half. Uh, I think it's because he was fighting the best fighter he's ever faced. I think Vosdick is the best opponent he's ever had. And he kind of got exposed a little bit in this fight, in my opinion. I still think Stevenson was clearly, you know, at his best, he was one of the best light heavyweights in the world. He might have been a a borderline top 15 pound-for-pound guy right there in, in 2013. He was kind of right there on that bubble. He just never really lived up to... Uh, the the I don't want to say expectations to the potential he had I think I thought he could have been more and it's disappointing and in the end he finally stepped up this year and fought two top ten guys one you know Vostick Vostick might be the best in the division he's certainly the top two or three best and Jack is still a top ten and and I thought he lost both fights so he got a little bit exposed when he finally was forced. To step up in opposition. So anyway, light heavyweight division, you got four titleists right now, and they're all kind of fighting on four different platforms. I just hope we could get some kind of unification. You know, um, obviously Vasdek is with Top Rank, so he's going to be an ESPN fighter. Bivol, Dmitry Bivol, was fighting on HBO. HBO's gone, so he's kind of a free agent. He can go anywhere. He doesn't. He's not stuck to a network right now. So why couldn't we see Vosdek and Bivol fight on ESPN? You know, if Bivol decides that he'd rather fight Artur Beterbiev, you know, there's that fight. And then of course we have the rematch between Kovalev and Alvarez. Depending on who wins that fight, I, it should be Alvarez. You know, maybe a, a unification between Alvarez and Beterbiev makes sense. They both fight uh, in Canada. I don't know, but we have to see some unification here. All I know is the top five, six, seven light heavyweights are all very good fighters and any combination of them fighting each other is good. So they just need to happen. Okay, let's go to the USA and go from uh, Canada, Quebec City, the East Coast over to the West Coast in Los Angeles, California. We're at Staples Center, this was Showtime Pay-Per-View, we had the big fight card between Deontay Wilder and Tyson Fury. Now, the undercard, to me, was pretty much shit. A lot of names, but not really fighting top-level talent. There was no real good co-feature in this fight to get diehards excited. Uh, pretty much showcase fights, but... Carlos Licona scores a split decision over Mark anthony Barriga, wins the vacant IBF minimum weight title. I don't know, not much to that fight. Uh, Luis Ortiz, heavyweight action, improves to 30-1 with 26 knockouts, scores a KO-10 win over Travis Kaufman, drops him in the 6th, 8th, and 10th rounds. And this fight was basically Ortiz, who's like 50 years old, making, you know, being made to look like he was 23, just completely beating the shit out of Travis Kaufman. It's not like he was putting a, a real ass whooping on him in terms of, you know, fighting with a lot, you know, throwing a lot of punches around and fighting with a, a lot of ferocity. It's a, no, he was just slowly, methodically beating the shit out <laughs> of Travis Kaufman. Uh, it's just kind of an old school beatdown. Kaufman took a lot of punches, didn't throw a lot back. And uh, yeah, that fight, I guess Ortiz got some rounds in. Jarrett Hurd in the co improved to 23-0 with 16 knockouts, gets a KO4 win over Jason Wellborn, who was making his American debut. Wellborn fought pretty good in the first couple rounds, was taking a fight to Hurd. But man, this looked like a middleweight versus a welterweight. The size difference was so apparent. It was just a matter of time before Hurd's size, his weight, uh, had an effect. And in the fourth round, boom, it opened up. So he defends his unified IBF and WBA junior middleweight titles. He's still the number one junior middleweight, but did this fight do anything to bump up his rating or anything like that? No, absolutely not. Also on the undercard, Joe Joyce stopped uh, Hanks, Joe Hanks, I wanted to say Tom Hanks, uh, Hanks in uh, one round. Chris Ariola wins, Robert Guerrero wins, Julian J. Rock Williams all get wins. Okay, main event. Deontay Wilder and Tyson Fury both came in undefeated. Fury was 40 and 0. Fury, I'm sorry, Fury was 27 and 0. Wilder was 40 and 0. And there was a lot of X factors going in, right? Now, my original thought. When this thing was signed was Wilder late TKO after being down on the cards early But as it got closer and closer, I started to think, you know what, in terms of style I'm not going to be surprised if this thing goes the distance and Wilder wins a very controversial decision That a lot of people feel, you know, Fury should have got the nod That was my thought going in and that's what I you know talked about last week in the Fight Preview so that I was tweeting out last week that I was just going more and more toward Wilder by controversial decision. It turns out my predictions and my feelings were kind of all in the ballpark, right? And if you watched my live fight party Saturday night, which was a lot of fun, guys, um, if you haven't tuned in to one of my live fight commentaries, uh, they're getting better and better with each one. We're trying, you know, different different things as far as the technology, how we're recording them and everything. And we had. Um, over 14,000 people watched. So thank you to everyone who's tuned in. It was a hell of a lot of fun. And by the way, I did an interview on NBC Sports Radio last night. I've posted that up on the YouTube page. So you guys, uh, on my channel, you can listen to my NBC Sports Radio interview talking about uh, these two fights in Canada and L.A. And then watch the fight party, too. Those are fun with me and Tiff. Tiff is kind of the board op. And She sits just off to the side. She'll chime in every now and then and then I watch the fight and give you guys live commentary and we do live Q&A So check that out, but anyway As I, as I was watching the fight live if you guys watch my, my commentary, I kept saying man that was a close round I think Fury could have edged it, but don't be surprised if the judges are giving this to Wilder so I was scoring the fight live like, I felt the judges were going to score the fight. And as such, you know, halfway through, a lot of you guys out there had Fury way ahead. But I'm watching live and I'm thinking, man, some of these rounds are really close. And they're going to give every close round to Wilder. Not just because he's American, fighting in America. Not just because he's the guy with the titles, you know. But because there's that massive potential fight between him and and Anthony Joshua, which again, I think is going to be a multi-fight series that lies ahead. And the powers that be in boxing, look, it was an Al Heyman show. TGB Promotions was his shadow promoter for this thing. uh, But this was an Al Heyman PBC show. And I just felt Wilder was going to get the nod. Did not expect the knockdown in the 12th round. And, you know, or the ninth round. There were two knockdowns, but especially that knockdown in the 12th. But I'll talk more about that in a second. Let's talk about the actual scores, okay? So, 113-113, one judge has it a draw. Which, when you look at what what that score is, is he gave that, that fight to Fury seven rounds to five. And with the two knockdowns, had it even. I can live with that scorecard. I really can. And I'll tell you guys why later. One judge had it 112 I'm sorry, 114-112 for Fury, which means he had it eight rounds to four for Fury, which I think was a good score. I thought those two scores were pretty good. You could make an argument for both of those scorecards. The third score, Alejandro Rochin had at 115-111 or seven rounds to five for Tyson, or I'm sorry, for Deontay Wilder. That to me is a very bad scorecard. I just can't see how you give Wilder more than five rounds in that fight. I, I don't see it. And Rochin, generally speaking, does a pretty good job. In fact, I was most confident in him scoring the fight uh, Saturday night. But he does get it wrong sometimes. Remember, Danny Garcia, Mauricio Herrera, Rochin scored that fight. And he, that was back in 2014. And he had that, I want to say like eight rounds to four or something like that, nine rounds to three for Danny Garcia, right? So it's much like Adelaide Byrd. I don't think Alejandro Ocina is is as bad of a judge as Adelaide Byrd. She's consistently bad. But these judges, they'll have a shitty scorecard. People will complain about it. The sanctioning organizations, the promoters, the, the commissions, they kind of put these guys, they lower them down to these undercard fights, these small four-rounders, eight-rounders, whatever it is, and they kind of hide for a few years, and then they work their way back up into title fights. They start doing some some mid-level fights, some title fights, and then they get in a big card like this, and they screw it up again. So Alejandro Rochin, horrible scorecard in a title fight back in 2014, resurfaces again with a really, really bad scorecard in another title fight both related to the PBC. So start doing the math here, guys. Rochina's one of their guys, and he's gonna resurface every few years with shitty scorecards like this. Adelaide Bird, she's had a bunch of them, but you know I talked about the first Canelo-Golovkin fight, right? She's not gonna be in a big, big fight like that for a while, but you wait, 2020, 2021, somewhere around there, she's gonna resurface again, you have another horrible scorecard. That's the way these things tend to work. You guys have the power, okay? Tweet to the PBC. Tweet to the promoters that were involved in this fight. Um, just Showtime. This was a Showtime pay-per-view. Both of these fights, the the Stevenson-Gavazdick and the Wilder Fury fight, were on Showtime. Tweet to the Uh, announcers to Pauli Malignaggi, Mauro Ronaldo, Al Bernstein, you know, start blowing those guys up. If you annoy the shit out of Al Bernstein on Twitter, if 2,000 of you tweet him this week bitching about the scorecards, he will go and talk to somebody about it. He'll get sick and tired of responding to the damn tweets, okay? It's only human nature. You guys have the power. Now, punch numbers. Here's where it gets interesting, and I think this is where Punch numbers, again, again, let me repeat for the 5 millionth time, not the end-all be-all, but they sure give an indication as to what we saw. Okay, In 9 of the 12 rounds, Tyson Fury landed more punches. But in 11 of the 12 rounds, Deontay Wilder threw more. In several rounds, he threw a dozen, two dozen more. So he was clearly the more active fighter. Fury, more economical with his punches, but more accurate. Wilder landed 16% of his punches, and it was right around 16, 17% for jabs and uh, power punches. So across the board, 16%. Fury landed 25% 25% of his overall punches, and I think it was like 35, 36% of his power punches. So he was much more accurate overall, but especially with the power punches. So I think what a lot of fans and one judge are being confused by, and by the way, Dan Raphael, or ESPN, I think, had Wilder up big. I'm surprised to see Raphael get screw this up so bad. He was there. He's seen enough title fights. He should know better. Wilder's just being more active, not necessarily being more effective. Remember, guys, it's effective aggression, not just aggression. When you're landing 16% of your overall punches, I don't give a shit if you're punching more in 11 of the 12 rounds if it's not effective. Now, you could make an argument that Wilder's punches were more effective, but I think they were more effective in spots. Overall, collectively, I think Fury's punches were more effective. When you look at who won rounds bigger, obviously the ninth and twelfth rounds were big rounds for Deontay Wilder. He landed, he threw and landed a lot more punches in those rounds, and he thoroughly won those rounds. They were clear Deontay Wilder rounds. Of course, there were 10-8 because of the knockdowns, but they were dominant rounds because of the knockdowns as well, right? So you can make an argument Wilder won his rounds bigger and they were, it was more impressive the way he won his rounds and in those rounds, his punches were more effective. But collectively, round by round, Fury's punches may not have been big and concussive, but they were more effective because they were slowing Wilder down and they were counter punches. Counter punches, in my opinion should be rated slightly higher than you know just an aggressive coming forward type of shot. If you're making a guy miss and then landing a counterpunch, not only are you scoring a punch, but you're also showing defense. You're showing ring generalship. You're making somebody's aggressiveness be ineffective and work against them. So landing a counterpunch when you make an opponent miss is not just one scoring criteria, but multiple scoring criteria, right? So one guy coming forward and just landing a jab, yeah, that's good. But when you make a guy miss and then land a shot, I think that's even better. So in my opinion, Fury did more of that consistently. And again, boxing's a round-by-round scoring thing, right? He did more in seven, eight, nine of those 12 rounds to eke them out. I go back to punch numbers. I think there was seven, seven or eight rounds were decided by two punches or less. In other words, Fury landed only one or two more punches than Wilder in more than half the rounds. That tells you how close the rounds were. So what you have to look at is in between the punches, and I don't think either fighter threw more than 50 punches in any round. It was not a very offensive fight. A lot of fainting and all that, you know, jockeying for position, which is what we expected. But that's what Fury does to people. He slows down their offense. So he accomplished that. But in between those little offensive bursts, what was happening? Who was controlling the real estate? And during the offensive exchanges, who was winning them? From what I saw, Wilder was winging a lot of punches, wide left hands, wide right hands, missing badly. His punches had a lot of power, but they were missing badly, and he'd throw a huge one-two with crazy power. And then Fury would slip, slip, and just pop, just a little pop. And all it would do, it wouldn't even snap Wilder's head back. But he'd stop him in his tracks, and he'd be off balance and out of position, and Fury was gone. Fury would spin out after landing a little, little tiny little left hand, a little tiny little right hand off his back foot. Absolutely no power on it, but it'd be enough to get Wilder off of him, and he'd win that exchange. And he'd do this three, four, five, six times around, and in my opinion, that would be enough to win the majority of the rounds. And if you don't think Wilder uh, or Fury got Wilder's attention, look at Wilder's left eye after the fight. Wilder had more swelling on his left eye than Fury had anywhere on his face. So, although Wilder dropped him twice with his power, collectively, round by round, it was Fury's effective, accurate punching that swelled up Wilder's eye. So, round by round, I do think Fury won. But, because of the two knockdowns, and I talked about this in my Live Fight Commentary, the two knockdowns were Tyson Fury's fault. When you get hit with a punch, it's your fault. You can't be mad at your opponent, you did something wrong for them to land the punch. And for all the horrible telegraphing Wilder does with his punches, you see him coming from a mile away, he is going to land a few here and there, it's just boxing. But what I saw, it, the ninth round knockdown, Fury was in the corner, dropped his hands, bent over at the waist, and Wilder just nailed him on the top of the head. And it was an off-balance flash knockdown, but it was scoring because Fury screwed up. So that cost him a point. And then in the 12th round, again, Fury backed straight up, put his hands down, he slipped, but he did like a half slip. He didn't do a full slip, And Wilder landed a left jab, right hand, left hook combination. It was 100% Tyson Fury's fault, and it cost him the fight. Because, number one, when he went down, holy shit, how did he get up? How did he get up? I thought the fight was over. During my live fight commentary, I was like, man, this fight's over. He ain't getting up. Uh, Wilder won. And then all of a sudden, my late TKO prediction, I'm like, man, I guess uh, my, my first instinct was correct. And then Fury gets up and, you know, it finishes the fight, which, which was amazing. That 12th round was a round of the year contender. But um, that right there, if that knockdown wouldn't have happened, then all of a sudden that one scorecard goes from 113-113 to 114-113 for Tyson Fury. And he wins the fight and he wins the world title. So, you know, that's on him, man. You guys can't be mad at Deontay. Now, you might not agree with the scores, but again, those first two scorecards, I'm not, Alejandro O'Chin's scorecard's disgusting, but the other two scores, you can make an argument for them. I don't necessarily agree with, with the draw, but you can make the argument. And in the end, if Tyson Fury wouldn't have got lazy for that one moment in the final round, he's the world champion right now. So that's on him. All right, real quick, a couple other notes about this fight. Some people have said, a lot of the, look, the LDBC guys, the PBC pom-pom wavers, and some of the race-baiting fans out there, they had a really bad Saturday night. They had a real bad Saturday night. But some of them are saying that in the 12th round, that was a 10 count, and Jack Reese helped Tyson Fury get up, and that should have been a knockout. You guys are morons. It wasn't a 10 count. Fury beat the count. And not only did he beat the count, he took the fight to Wilder for the rest of that 12th round. And clearly Jack Reese made the right call by letting Tyson Fury fight on. We've seen in plenty of fights where an overzealous ref stopped it too soon, and it robs fans of action. It also robs the fighter of a chance to come back and I thought Jack Reese handled that situation perfectly. Uh, Comparisons of this fight to some all-time great heavyweight fights. Guys, slow down. This fight exceeded expectations. I think a lot of us had low expectations for this fight and thought it was going to be a snoozer. It performed better, at least in my opinion, than I expected. And say what you will about Deontay Wilder, his last two fights have had drama and action. His fights against Luis Ortiz and Tyson Fury we're dramatic, it exceeded expectations, so you gotta give it to Wilder. He's exciting to watch, man. And a heavyweight that's exciting to watch, boy, if we needed that for some time. So, you know, regardless of how you feel about him, how, if you feel he won the fight or not, I'm just saying, dude's exciting. So this fight exceeded expectations because, in my opinion, Fury looked better than I think we expected him to. He showed tremendous heart in this fight. And Wilder, to his credit, showed heart because he was being really outclassed for a lot of the fight, but never stopped trying. And the 12th round is proof of it. He came out swinging, going for a knockout. I think he felt like he was behind and needed something. And, uh, you know, give him credit too. But guys, this fight was, was, some of you are comparing this to the Rumble in the Jungle and, and, you know, Holyfield, Bo, slow down. This fight wasn't Nowhere near as good as Anthony Joshua and Vladimir Klitschko. That was the best heavyweight fight we had seen in decades. To me, that was the best fight since Holyfield-Bow, best heavyweight title fight. And uh, this, you know, Wilder Fury was good. It was not as good as AJ Vlad. And in terms of global viewership, live attendance, all of that, nowhere near as big. So pump the brakes, slow down a little bit, okay? Some of you guys get a little overzealous with that stuff. Um, that's it though with this fight, look, there's a rematch clause, uh, Frank Warren and Tyson Fury, they want the rematch, they want it over in the UK, that's not happening. Deontay Wilder and his team, Shelly Finkel and those guys, they are not going to the UK, will not happen. Why not do the rematch next? Why not do it in New York? I think that's a good middle ground. It's right between LA and in London, you know, kind of in between. I know technically the ocean's right in between, but you guys hear what I'm saying. In terms of proximity for the UK fans, it makes sense. In terms of proximity for me, because I'm in Atlanta, it makes sense. (laughs) So, selfish reasoning. But honestly, I think New York would make sense. You could take it back to LA. I don't want to see the rematch in Vegas. So hopefully we get a rematch and hopefully that's what's next. All right, guys, that is it for last week. Let's preview what's coming up this week. Friday, December 7th, there is a Telemundo card from Mexico City in the main event. Lightweight action, Antonio Moran fighting Edson Ramirez in the main event. Also, there's a Mayweather Promotions card in Las Vegas, but I don't think there's any TV for that card. Saturday, December 8th, We got a lot of action here. Over in Sheffield, Yorkshire, UK, there's a matchroom boxing card. And in the main event, Kel Brook, the man with the repaired face, had his orbital bone crushed twice. Going up against Michael Zarafa. If that name, Zarafa, sounds familiar to some of you guys, he is most known for being KO'd brutally by Peter Quillen back in 2015. So he should be knocked out and stopped in this fight. Of course, this is a junior middleweight fight. Kelbrook uh, has fought at welterweight. He's fought at middleweight. This is right in the middle of that where he belongs. And expect Brook to get a stoppage win in this fight. He should if he's anywhere near the form he once was. Also on this card, 2016 Olympian undefeated prospect Josh Kellys. 8-0. Facing his toughest fight as a pro so far, going up against David Avenesian in a 10-rounder. That should be really good, and it's going to tell us where Kelly is at. Is he ready to contend, or is he still building as a prospect? We will find out in that fight. Also, Gold Boy Promotions has a small card from Fantasy Springs Casino in Indio, California. and in the main event, 130 pounders. Carlos Morales is a Mexican fighter, I think lives in Southern California now, going up against Nicaraguan Rene Alvarado, who always makes it a tough out for everybody he faces. That is a 10-rounder. Then at StubHub Center in Carson, California, just south of Los Angeles proper, on HBO, this is a 360 promotions card put on by Tom Loeffler. In the main event, Cecilia Bracuz, putting her unified welterweight undisputed championship up against alexandra lopez uh, Breiku should win big in that fight also in the co-main claressa shields who just fought last month defending her wba wbc unified middleweight titles against femke hermans she should dominate that fight and juan francisco estrada who stepped in for an injured roman gonzalez going up against victor mendez in a super flyweight fight 10 rounds both of these fighters are from Sonora, Mexico, so uh, hometown pride will be on the line. You got to favor Estrada, big in that fight, but probably going the distance and probably going to be a lot of back and forth action and blood. So that's over in California, over here on the East Coast, going up to New York, Madison Square Garden, top rank as a card on ESPN. In the main event, Vasyl Lomachenko, Unifying titles lightweight titles with jose pedraza out of puerto rico they are unifying wba and wbo 135 pound titles biggest stat for me when you look at the tail of the tape here uh, lomachenko has a 65 inch reach pedraza has a 71 inch reach so we all saw the size difference when lomachenko fought jorge linares earlier this year pedraza is bigger than linares so i think that pedraza uh, who, generally speaking, has a good chin. Yes, he was stopped brutally by Javante Davis, but uh, Javante Davis, very explosive puncher, and uh, just you know, let, just caught him with a good shot that hurt him and he couldn't recover. Uh, Pedraza, for the most part, skilled guy knows how to survive. Long reach. If he stays behind that reach, I think he could give Lomachenko some issues. Don't be surprised. Uh, I think a lot of people are going to look at this and think, man, if Lomachenko. Stop Linares, he's definitely going to stop Pedraza Don't be surprised if this one goes the distance In all seriousness I mean, maybe we get one of those frustration uh, Quit jobs from Pedraza that Lomachenko has been able to do to everybody But I'm telling you Puerto Rican dude fighting in New York Unifying titles uh, He's been there before I see this going the distance I see Loma winning and unifying these titles Also on this card, Isaac Dogbay. Going up against Mexican fighter Emmanuel Navarrete. Defending his WBO Super Bantamweight title. The title he won in April with his great fight with Jesse Magdaleno. He had to get off the canvas to win that fight. Dropped and stopped Magdaleno in a fight of the year candidate. That should be fun. Isaac Dogbe must must watch TV. He's always entertaining. 20-0 putting his O and his title on the line. And... Teofimo Lopez, who I think is the prospect of the year, he's certainly got my vote for 2018 prospect of the year. 10 and 0, eight knockouts, going up against his most experienced professional opponent, Mason Menard, in a 10-round lightweight fight. Uh, Menard coming off a stoppage loss to Devin Haney back in May, uh, where he was just kind of systematically beat down in that fight. I don't know, man. I mean, if. He's getting in there against Lopez now. This is going to be a a tough 2018 for Menard. I like Lopez big in this fight. And don't be surprised if um, he looks more explosive and stops Menard in more explosive fashion than Haney did. Uh, Haney kind of systematically broke Menard down. And I think it was a corner stoppage, you know, retirement kind of stoppage in that fight. Lopez... Just because, of look, Styles make fights, and because of the way, the style he fights and punches in, I think he can score a more uh, scintillating, exciting, explosive kind of knockout than David Haney scored. But there may, there may also be moments where Menard lands some punches, and Menard can punch. So uh, maybe he'll take more return fire than Haney did. So that would be an interesting fight to watch. But that's it for this week, guys. Uh, let me know what you think about those the, the scoring. How did you have uh, Stevenson Vosdick through 10 rounds? How did you have the Wilder Fury fight? And that's it for this week. Remember your fee, and I'll see you at the fights.